Whenever a holy day becomes a holiday, you can rest assured that it will be cheapened and minimized as time goes on. So we stand in the middle of Christmas season, December 25th, Christmas Day, and January 6th, Epiphany. Both are designed to be holy days. Holy days, in your notes, are Christ-centered. They are, in your notes, God-honoring. But when a holy day becomes a holiday, which etymology actually means a holy day, as time goes on, it becomes, in your notes, man-centered, and it is man-honoring. So in our culture today, as we stand in the midst of the Christmas season, are these holy days? Are they honoring God-centered and Christ-honoring? Or have they become holidays? We go through all the activities. We go through all the rituals. We go through all the motions. Sometimes it seems we do not get the focus in the right place. We have, in fact, trivialized epiphany. And I would assert that in our culture, in you know, Christmas is being disguised. Christmas has been disguised. There are all kinds of disguises. And those of us who are believers are not immune to these disguises that turn a holy day into a holiday. So what are some of the disguises for Christmas? I'll share with you six examples. In your notes, number one, there's the anonymous Christmas. The anonymous Christmas. You have Christmas cards already that disguise quite effectively the meaning of Christmas. They say winter holidays, happy holiday, but they give no reference to what is the focus of Christmas. In fact, many Christmas tree sales places have Xmas trees being available. We take out all that points us to the birth of Jesus. Number two, there is secondly, the anemic Christmas. The anemic Christmas is the kind of Christmas that centers around all kinds of religious pabulum. Things that get close, but certainly are not there. We take out, we remove the rich, Christ-centered message of salvation. Number three, there's the antiseptic Christmas. The antiseptic Christmas talks about peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But the Bible does not say that. It is not a brotherhood of all peoples. The text says, on earth, peace, on whom his favor rests. And that favor comes through Jesus Christ. And that is omitted when you have the purpose of one holiday taking place or applying as the antiseptic to clean up the world's problems. Number four, there is the annoying Christmas. An annoying Christmas. There's an inverse relationship in our culture between long lines and short tempers. Have you been there? 
Some of us have the spiritual gift of picking the longest lines and the slowest line. There is a certain annoying part of Christmas. Number five, there is the avarice Christmas. Some are not familiar with this. We don't use that word very much, but it does start with an A. Avarice is an excessive desire for personal gain. It's greed. You listen even in the, to Christian families. It's all about, what am I getting? What am I getting? That becomes one of the disguises for Christmas. It takes it from a holy day to a holiday. Because it's man-centered. And number six. This happens especially in churches today. There's the activity Christmas. There's an endless stream, a torrent of family and church activities. If you listen closely to people, they're saying, is my calendar ever packed? I hardly have a night home. I don't know how I'll get everything done. What a joy to have one big dysfunctional family gathering in one house for five endless hours. I will sure be glad when that's over. If that is in us, we have more influence by the disguises of Christmas than we like to think we are. When you take all of these disguises away, then we come face to face. Face to face once again with the story of Christmas in your notes. Christmas is the story. It's not a story. It's not one of many stories. It's the story. Too often we begin to tune out and not pay attention to the story because we have heard it so many times before. We have never heard the story often enough, however. In fact, do you know how many times that we need to hear this story? The story, in your notes, can always always be heard at least write this down one more time at least one more time in your notes the Christmas story is not a story of infancy it's a story of not of infancy but rather a story of deity it's not about a baby the story of Christmas is about God it's about God coming to earth in the person of Jesus it's not a story about religion the story about his redemption. The sinless son of God was able to live a perfect life and die on the cross in our place. This is not a story in your notes of me. It's not a story of me getting, but rather the story of the Messiah, the Messiah coming. So we need to hear the story again and again and again. This is the story that is totally focused on the triune God. It remains foundational to our Christian belief. In order to not skim over the text of the story that we have, are extremely familiar with, I often go through the discipline of reading the word of God out loud. So look at Matthew 11, 1, verses 18 and 25. But this time again, please read it with me together out loud. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, 
She was found to be with the child, the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a religious man, she did not want to be exposed to public. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, who will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had and he gave him the name Jesus. This morning we're going to focus on four points now of this Christmas story. These are four activities, four activities of God. So in your notes, number one, first of all, this story is the story of God's initiative. It is God's initiative. On the back of your notes, look at Matthew 1.18. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. If you look at the individuals who make up the various parts of the Christmas story, none of them, none of them would have their part or be with the right place at the right time, if it was not for God's initiative. If God had not come to Mary and told her through the angel of the virgin conception, she would have become pregnant and she would have had no idea what had taken place. Then we read of Joseph finding out his fiancée was pregnant. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He would have done so if it had not been for God's initiative. The shepherds, the shepherds would not have been at the stable if they had not had that angelic host appear to them at God's initiative. And the wise men, the wise men would not have been into the house to worship Jesus if it had not been for that star appearing at God's initiative. Every one of the characters involved in this story is there because of God's initiative. Should it therefore surprise any of us that anyone who comes to saving faith in Jesus have done so at God's initiative? And you notice we come to faith because of God. God always does the drawing work of bringing men and women and children into his kingdom through the word and through the sacrament. We who believe in infant baptism know that all that work of adopting an infant into his family is done at God's initiative through the water and the word. God does his work. It is not by man's work. It's not earned or it's not deserved. It's not our seeking God, but rather God seeking us out, drawing us into his grace and forgiveness. It is a holy day story, a holy day story of God's initiative. Number two, secondly, in your notes, this is the story about God's involvement. It's God's involvement. 
Look at Matthew 1.20. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. See, in every part of the Christmas story, there was, in your notes, a supernatural event. A supernatural event that could not be explained away by natural science. Perhaps the most common effort to do away with the supernatural is that star. When you do reading about the Christmas story, you find all kinds of theories about which star, what kind of star, speculations about how it was a natural alignment, just at the right time, at the right place. That is simply to cheapen. It minimizes God's involvement. God indeed placed that star at that time and placed to show that all that had happened was because of his, God's involvement. See, this is not a story which is 95% God and 5% man effort. It's not 90% God and 1% man's effort. This story is 100% God's plan. It's God's story being worked out through the people that he chose to display the might and the power of his redemptive plan through Jesus. God's involvement in our lives is also a total involvement in your notes, we come to faith by 100% God's working. Our coming to faith in Jesus was not a partnership. Coming to faith in Jesus is always 100% God and none of me. The grace of God that saves me is also the grace of God that sustains me. Do I need only 90% of God's involvement to sustain me? No. No, as I have, am saved by his grace... I'm sanctified by his grace always through faith and the working of the Holy Spirit. And when we start taking away God's involvement and placing it on us and then what we are doing, we then turn a holy day into a holiday. See, the cross is a reminder and his words, it is finished. To tell us why reminds us that the debt of our sin is paid in full, 100% though, by Jesus. We tend to disguise Christmas. Christmas is 100% God's involvement. It's the story of God's initiative. Story of God's involvement. Number three. In your notes. It's the story also of God's investment. Look at Matthew 1 verse 21. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In your notes. Christmas is very expensive. We say that heaven is a free gift. We know that. Unfortunately, we hear the word free from the economic capitalistic terminology where free means without cost. But in the biblical economy, salvation is free does not mean without cost. See, in your notes, number one, salvation is not free of cost. Christmas could not have been more expensive in God's economy. See, the Bible says, number two, salvation is free of obligation. It's a free gift, but it costs God. It costs God his own son. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ, he died for us. This is about God's investment, about Jesus who is Savior, who will go to the cross, not about us buying presents for one another. When we focus on, our, on the presence and all the things around under the Christmas tree, we turn a holy day 
into a holiday. Number four, fourthly in your notes, this is the story about God's invitation. Look at Matthew 1, verse 21. Name him Jesus, God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. This is God's invitation to you and to me. We recognize in the story of Christmas that we do have a problem. We have a problem that we cannot solve. And in our culture, we thrive at solving our own problems. We thrive at being self-sufficient. We cannot admit our weakness. It should not surprise us in your notes that the theology of the world is opposite to the theology of the gospel. You see, you have Christ. Christ who says one thing, then you have the Antichrist who says the opposite. If Christ stands for strong families, Antichrist stands for tearing families apart. If Christ stands for purity, Antichrist stands for impurity. If Christ says that we are saved by grace and not by works, then what would you think the Antichrist would say? We are saved by works and not by grace. When you ask that question, if you personally were to stand before God and God would ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? Around the world, you will get the same answer. Well, why is it the same answer? Because around the world, there's a theology of the world. The Antichrist answers. I'm going to try to be good. I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. But that's the Antichrist answer. Christmas says in your notes, yes, we do have a sin problem. It cannot be solved by us. It cannot be solved by us. When Christ died on the cross, he said it's finished. That says the sin problem that has been solved in your notes. The sin problem has been solved by Jesus. The problem, the debt of our sin, has been paid for in total. And your invitation then from God says in your notes, Jesus is your Savior. God invites us. Compared to the many invitations received this Christmas season, where you were glad the parties were finally over, the activities were done. God's invitation says, when you come to him, he will solve a problem that you cannot solve by yourself. It's your sin problem. Don't miss God's invitation by turning a holy day into a holiday. This is not a story. It's the story. In conclusion, look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. See, that's Paul's words. Paul's concluding words to Timothy just before he died. These are the same words that Paul would say to every Christian in our culture today. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. See, Christmas is not about all these other things. Christmas is not a holiday. Don't celebrate a holiday. A holiday takes the focus off of Christ. And you know, Christmas is a holy day. Christmas is the story, number one, of God's initiative, number two, of God's involvement, number three, of God's investment, and number four, God's invitation. Amen. <laughs>